1: Welcome everyone to episode 31 of the Rust Belt Rundown, a Rust Belt Recruiting Production. I am your host, Paul O'Connor. And on this episode, we are joined by Ned Barnett from the Polaris Career Center, Tim Duffy, the president of Cleveland Industrial Training Center, and Dustin Peugeot, the co-founder of Matrix Trade Institute. Happy Friday, gentlemen. Thank you guys so much for joining me this early. Uh, I say anytime you're podcasting before 9 a.m. on a Friday, it's a good start welcome.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you
0: for the opportunity. Of course.
1: Um, So let's start, uh, Tim, we'll start with you, um, then we'll go to Ned, then we'll go to Dustin, but just brief high-level intros so people understand who you are and uh, the role within the company uh, and what each company does.
0: Sure. Uh, Again, thank you for the opportunity. My name is Tim Duffy. I am uh, the president, Cleveland Industrial Training Center. I've been here 15 years Prior to that, I ran the National Tooling and Machining Association Training Center, that's a mouthful, uh, in Akron for uh, 14 years. This is about machine trades, machine machinist training, CNC machining to be uh, specific, and then more advanced training. Our company um, is somewhat unique in the sense that we are actually in the business of what we teach. That is, we are a full uh, service CNC machine shop, making parts for our customers every day. And we have state certified training under the same roof. Uh, Our our clients are, you know, a guy walks in off the street looking for a career change. Uh, Agencies, vets, and companies, we do, a considerable amount of uh, em- employer training, incumbent worker training uh, that uh, is growing more and more prevalent uh, these days. Um, we've been at this location for uh, the, the 15 years that I've been here. Uh, before that, we were on the east side of Cleveland for another uh, 12, 13, something like that. So we've been doing this a while. And I know we're gonna talk about technology maybe a little later, and uh, myself and my colleagues can uh, address that at the time. But that's a little bit about Cleveland Industrial Training Center.
2: Perfect. Um, I'm Ned Barnett. Um, I am a guidance counselor at Polaris Career Center. Um, We're a career tech high school on the uh, west side of Cleveland. Um, We work with six different districts, um, six different high school districts in the area. Um, We have juniors and seniors that come here. and we have programs, I think 26 different programs from, you know, auto mechanics, HVAC, machine trades, welding, to medical professions, pre-nursing, EMT, and uh, cosmetology, just a, a bunch of different programs for juniors and seniors in high school. Um, I've worked here at Polaris for thir- is my 31st year, um, uh, 20 of that as a guidance counselor, and then 11 before that as an instructor, I used to teach math here, as well. so um, that's my background and a little bit about Polaris. Awesome.
3: And I'm Dustin Peugeot, co-founder, and CEO of Matrix Trade Institute. Um, <clears throat> uh, closer than not to 20 years in the um, um, OEM um, Ford Motor Company marketing space. Uh, I'm sorry, five years doing that, and close to 20 years in the retail automotive space. Um, four years ago, um, pulled away from that and started a auto and collision mechanic trade school here in Cleveland. Um we recruit some of our sharp young men and women out of um, Ned's program and they go into our post-secondary automotive and collision program. Uh, lots of welding and collision, and uh, obviously auto uh, is what it is. Um, I'm super intrigued um, to be on this panel with you guys. Um, you know, Tim, um, his program is one of the few that I know of that um, not only has a state certified program, uh, but also trains people in the industry to be better in the industry, and I really think that's where it's all going. Um, just before COVID, our business pivoted. Uh, we were originally recruiting uh, people into the trade; um, they were paying for a post-secondary education, and placement was a breeze. I mean, um, you know, um, our model was was really preparing them for the industry. But what we found was that two thirds of the people that were getting into the automotive and collision space in terms of post-secondary education were defecting from the auto and collision industry in 11 months. And then we found that uh, over the course of about 18 months, over half of the people that were applying to our school, meaning they're typing in automotive collision trade school near me, were already in the industry and were so stuck, they were looking for a post-secondary option. That's like uh, Joe Thomas searching for, where can I learn how to play football at halftime? And so what we quickly realized was the industry has a way bigger retention problem. They do a recruiting problem. And so we launched our efficiency boot camps, which do just like Tim was alluding to. We train young technicians that work for repair shops and dealerships in skill-specific hands-on tasks so that they can be more efficient and productive and their employers pay for that. Um, because employee upskilling is where the trade trades are missing it. It's, it's, it's the gap that, in my opinion, needs to be filled uh, the most. And so I'm just so pleased and, and humbled to be on a panel of, of people who are trying to make a living uh, doing something about this and, and being part of what I hope can be you know, a solution.
1: Dustin, let's stay on that. What, what do you think was leading to the retention problem Um, And for and for it's interesting. So I I work in the real estate education world um, at Hondros College. And we, you know, if you know anything about that, it's it's very similar. Um, There's there's a number that everyone touts. It's about 80 percent of real estate agents will be out of the business within one to five years, which is staggering. I mean, it's it's absurd. Um, And so before we jump, you know, without forget about real estate, what, what do you think was leading to the retention problem for you guys?
3: So in automotive and collision, I'll just group those in together um, Mm -hmm. because it's close enough that it it doesn't matter. Um, 80% of the production is coming from 20% of the workforce and that 80% is retiring in the next five years because they're a bunch of old guys with with busted up bodies and they are the experts and the craftsmen of the trade. Um, In automotive, it's a very similar Um, deal, I I think a couple of things contribute. Um, First of all, 70% of the business that's done in in our particular trade is is considered maintenance, light repair. Only call it 30% of the time is there like some super hyper advanced um, skill or um, operation that needs to be done relative to the total mix of business but all the focus gets put on that veteran employee. They are um, shorthanded and in in high demand and everybody spends their time fighting over that employee. And and the onboarding process in the industry for a young technician is, here's the broom. Um, You should be doing that. Learn from him, he's an expert. Learn from him, he's an expert. Um, When you're running a repair shop or a collision center, it is fast-paced. Everything is a variable. I'm, I'm envious of Tim because while I don't know that much about machining, what I do know is the same thing has to occur over and over again to an exact specification to produce quality goods. Um, we thought originally when we were going to start Matrix that, gosh, maybe we could run a live shop and use that for simultaneous hands-on internship. But the reality is, is Every car is different. Every brake is different. Every customer is different. So you can't can't live in an environment and simulate an environment. Um, But but back to your question, the industry just threw people into the deal. The ones that survived had plenty of work. The ones that didn't survive um, had to find something else. Now, what happens is post-COVID, it's even worse because a lot of the workforce didn't return, especially the the older echelon that maybe had three to five years left that had all these skills and talent, they they didn't return. Um, In the last number of years, the business has gotten better about realizing that they at least need some sort of mentorship program. But the problem is, is if I'm a young technician and Ned is the veteran, and, and my mentorship program is, you know, Ned's gonna train you. Ned gets paid in a flat rate environment where Ned taking time to train me Essentially costs him money and he'll do it because he's a good guy a couple times, and then he'll get frustrated, and then he'll do it a couple times more because his manager pays him an extra few bucks an hour, and then that'll go bad. And the reality is, is Ned's a great technician, he's not really an instructor, he doesn't want to lose money to teach somebody, and he's tired of doing it, and he just wants to he just wants to work, and so that's about as good as it gets. So here, I made this mistake for 15 plus years running Ford dealerships. There's not a solution to get guys from single A to double A and getting prepared for triple A. And, and that's where we focus. So I believe that the problem with retention in the industry is there aren't enough businesses focused on just staying at the entry level, just making sure that they have the teeth to stay in the industry and be productive and be valued. so you have to be willing to focus as much on the employer and their shortcomings in that equation as you do the employee and their opportunities in that equation. So I don't wanna to get too lost on our business model but fast paced retail customer facing businesses have a tough time being schools and being good providers in such a competitive environment where there's such a shortage of technicians already.
0: If I could, if I could uh, jump in just to buttress a lot of those same points, you, you hit the nail on the head. In our industry, what, what I find in CNC machining, we have zero problem placing students. I mean, they jump out of here in this market, in this day and age. And um, sometimes companies contact me and they're confused as to why with such a great company and a great opportunity, They find that people are leaving in two or three years. And they're asking me, well, why is this happening? And the the answer that keeps coming back is exactly what you were talking about. There has to be a mechanism, uh, whether you're a small company or a large company for employee retention, because these new perfectly groomed people with five years experience are not gonna fall off a tree and roll in your front door. You have to have a way to keep them engaged and involved. And the good news is I'm seeing that in my industry. I'm seeing companies that now uh, uh, dedicate resources to people who have titles like talent, uh, talent, uh, not only talent acquisition, but talent movement within the company. In other words, how do we get in our case from an operator one to an operator two, to an operator three, to a setup guy, to a programmer? How do we do that? Because if you don't do that, uh, they're gonna get bored and they're gonna leave. And, and that's where I think collectively uh, for myself and my colleagues, I think that's a great growth area because there is now more of an awareness that if we can help them with that, and Dustin, what you said is absolutely true. If they use our resources to do that, they don't have to use theirs. They don't have to tie up a machine, in my case, that would otherwise be uh, making parts to train. I do yeah. that, yeah. or people. They don't have to take a $36 an hour manager to train somebody because I do that. And if we collectively can make the case, Hey guys, in a short period of time, this is going to pay off for you in employee retention and create some buzz in your, in your, uh, uh, within your walls here. And so that's kind of the pitch I've been using. We can't just sit around and wait for the phone to ring. And uh, as I said, placement isn't a problem, but you got to keep the ones you have, and we're trying to make that case to our
3: employers. Yeah, we we um, we keep it real simple. There's not anybody that contacts us, Paul, that doesn't say, "I need three A technicians." And in the beginning of our journey, I was scrambling around trying to use my resources and help them out. And really, what they're saying is, "Hey, I've got." A million dollars to spend i just need six lebron james one for each position and my sixth man okay well that, that, is, a, yeah, that right. is a beautiful fairy tale yeah yeah
1: you,
3: know, you might need you might need seven basketballs for that to for that to work out uh, i want to be reality, an astronaut what's that
0: <laughs> i want to be an astronaut yeah
3: yeah, yeah. Well, that would be easier than, than, than getting 5A technicians or LeBron James. So we're, we're on the same page there. So what we now say is, listen, why would we graduate one person into your school if you can't prove to us that you're spending time, energy, and resources on keeping your own people? When we're fighting a cultural issue where people defect, I got a chance to put somebody in a business that says they're a great place to work and a business that spends money elevating their current technicians to create more productivity, a career path for them. And I think that's the magic buzzword that Tim's talking about that Ned's program gets people started on. If they're, if they're in the mindset that, that we don't have to unbrainwash them to be a tradesperson, person, um, which, which is becoming easier every day, but it's still yeah. something that we have to overcome as a society. But when you, when you start talking about the businesses that can, listen Tim to your conversation that says spend some money to help me train them for you so you can continue to run your business and the ROI will be faster and more exponential than you could possibly imagine. There's only 20% of the world that's prepared to even listen to that right now. The good news is there's not so many candidates wanting to learn the trades that we're trying to fill that we still can't place everybody but companies can say that they provide a career path for their employees. And so my challenge to the companies that says, oh yeah, we have a career path, we have this and this, they're gonna start talking about pay. They're gonna start talking about vacation time. They're gonna start talking about pizza on Fridays. Nobody cares about that. Okay, we did a poll of our own students and then I found that I could have saved some time because you can Google any article that says, why do people leave a job or why do people leave a trade? And you can blindly scroll in that list and you can hit whatever article pops up and you're going to find some form of, and I'm anxious to hear if you guys see this on your side. Number one reason they leave is not money. It's because they don't perceive that management cares. Number two reason that they leave, they don't know what their career path or advancement plan looks like. Number three, they feel like they, or more importantly, their supervisor is overworked as it relates to them understanding their job. Number four, they're not passionate about what they do. How could they be if the first three are actually true? And number five, they don't feel like they're part of something larger. Then you get into things like compensation and benefits. So when I say to employers, well, what's your career path look like? And they say, we'll have one. And I say, okay, cool. Well, I assume you have that path posted somewhere. And this is where Tim was talking about M1 to M2, M2 to supervisor one, supervisor one to, you know. Uh, If anybody wants to take a wild stab at what percentage of employers in the automotive and collision industry have that career path documented on the wall, I would bet you'd all be real close. And even if somebody does have it documented, do they execute against it on the timeline that that documentation shows to the confidence and satisfaction of the employee, despite, oh, we're really busy, Earl's on vacation, Nadia has COVID. So guess what? I knew you were supposed to go to training but we're busy today so we'll put that off and we wonder why people defect. So trades, businesses have to get serious about what that career path looks like and then they need a partner to hold them accountable with money because the last I checked, money's what holds people accountable so that the person that matters most in that equation, the employee who's getting seduced by Amazon, come work for Amazon, we'll make you a doctor we'll give you your dog's birthday off, we'll give you 50 days of vacation day one, and we'll make it look like sunshine. And guess what? Working for Amazon sucks. FedEx tells a really good story. Go find me a FedEx guy that's not ready to commit. Um, Well, I shouldn't say anything too crazy, but that is really thrilled about working for FedEx. We're losing tradespeople to these big companies that have a great Super Bowl commercial and working there is not that great either. So the trades, the machining business, the, the, the auto, the collision industry, we need to get serious about plotting that career path, having business partners, for profit by the way, who are incentivized to perform just as much as the business who's using that vendor needs them to, to the benefit of young employees who really don't want to leave their job. There's just so much noise out there about the grass being greener on the other side we're talking to people that are 30 years and younger, why, why, why wouldn't they believe Amazon, FedEx, everybody else, Carvana, who's telling this amazing story, when the employers that really do need them do have the resources, they just don't have a model to deploy them and, and people to work with to help them. You can't be a great producer and be a great trainer. You have to be a great trainer or a great producer. That's okay. Okay. You just have to find a trainer who is willing to put their reputation on their product to the benefit of your people, your bottom dollar, and your ROI. And that's where this gets exciting because the reality is it's not rocket science, but it takes a special kind of person with a unique type of funding and a vision and an awareness of a problem where most of the people are going to nod their head for a while and then just kind of go do what they were doing, which... Last I checked is the definition of insanity, but it it happens all the time. And you know, not that many people or situations uh, uh, happening because sometimes those who are the most capable of fixing this problem are making way too much money just working in the industry and doing a lot of things sort of right and uh,
2: living a good life. And I can tell you from the high school standpoint, like the biggest challenge that I see, so we work with 16, 17 and 18 year olds, right? And we do a great job teaching skills. You know, we've got great instructors and they know how to do that. And it's the old, we used to call it soft skills. You know, it's negotiating all of this stuff. How do you teach someone that's 18 years old? I mean, I remember when I was 18 and how my thought processes worked, which wasn't always the best. um, Teach them to negotiate this. How do you teach them, you know, to not go for the Amazon or to not, you know, to, to utilize my skill, to nurture that. Because um, they're coming from an environment here where the whole job of the instructor is to spend three hours a day with them to nurture them and make them the best possible auto mechanic, machinist, whatever. And then they go to the job and it's not the same thing because it's not because it's a job. They got a product. There's a service that has to be provided. Money has to be made. And that transition is difficult, especially when you're coming out of a, a high school at 18 years old. There's no college buffer necessarily um, where you get to grow up a little bit more. Um, not certainly you can get more training. You know, we have great places to, to get more training, but, um, you're kind of hitting the, hitting the, the rubber's hitting the road a little quicker and you need that support. And I think that's, that's where we struggle is how do we provide that part of the education, right? We work on that. We try to give that the soft skills or the extra skills, but it is difficult. It's a challenge, especially when we're so young. Ned,
1: I want Well, this is for everybody, but Ned, we can start with you. Um, and Dustin, you brought it up you know i'm 32 i graduated high school in 2007 and when i tell you that there was no other option other than going to a four year college it and and it wasn't even necessarily like forced upon. it was just it it wasn't even a thought to go to a two year college or to go learn how to do anything other than just hey you got to go to you got to go to a four year college that's it that was ingrained in us now Blame is a strong word. I'm not trying to blame. And I loved it. I went to Ohio University. I had the time of my life. I wouldn't change it for the world. But I think you know, that we, was- You know, he
3: can play beer pong.
1: Yes, absolutely, I can. So that was drilled into us by my parents, the boomers. A lot of that was, good. And, and because the ROI on college for them was exponential, You know, they spent $30,000 on a college degree and made that within two to three years of getting out. I spent $95,000 on a college degree and I'm just getting there. It's been 10 years. I'm just getting there. So where, why is there such, and Dustin, I agree, we've come light years from 07 to 2022, but Got why it. was there such a negative connotation around trades and being a mechanic or being a, a contractor? And people didn't know. You're making six figures. You, you, you're you running a business. You're an entrepreneur. So why, and this is for everybody. And and Ned, we can start with you. Why was that? And and why do you think we've shifted
2: out of it? Well, why was it? I, I don't know. You know, I guess the jobs were seen as, you know, you weren't educated because it wasn't a traditional educational path, but, you know, they're, they're the jobs that keep the country running. Um, I, I think, but when it comes to why are we shifting, and I listen, I graduated from high school in the 80s. Um, I went to a school that, that could have come to Polaris um, and my parents told me I, I wasn't even a choice I was going to college I didn't even think about it because that's just what was expected of Um, but what I can tell you is it has shifted and I think the biggest reason for the shift is exactly what you talked about how much money it costs to go to college um, I, I've got we you know at, at Polaris we've got kids that are going right to work and we got kids that are going to to Tri-C going to trade school and going right to four-year colleges um, what's happening is even kids that are academically prepared for college, and, and maybe that be the route they're going to do, they can't afford it. Um, to go to a state school, you're going to spend $100,000 to go to a state school. Uh, it's just impossible to do that, you know? So, so what can you do? You, you have to find a different way to a lifestyle and a career that's going to give you the life you want, and that's available for you. So I think that's probably the biggest push is why people are taking more advantage. We actually have Record enrollment for next year. We're going to have over 700 kids That's um, great. In next year, which is, it's you know, usually we're more in the 500 range, which is great. Um, we still face those same biases that were there before when I was in the 80s that when, when I was there, um, but shops are different. Um, walk into our welding lab. It's not going to be what you expect. Walk into our machine lab, machine trades lab. It's not what you expect. Um, right. The industry is changing, Right. Um, and so i think people are seeing that and people are stuck it's to me it's coming down to money right there are these jobs they need welders they need machinists and you're going to make a good living and you're going to be able to have a family and do the things you want to do and and that's why i think it's changing more than anything else
0: if i could if i could jump in just to back that up 100 percent, we we see the same thing the good news is that this perception is absolutely changing and uh the numbers that you uh, that you you cited, Ned, point point that out clearly. Um, from from my background and where I've come from, running a four year apprenticeship program for all those years, I also saw the good points of that, but I also saw the drawbacks of that. In in that you they they tended to teach a little bit about a lot of things. Uh, creating a jack-of-all-trades master of none, whereas these these um, shorter-term certificate-level certification programs get right to the heart of the matter. They get people hired and they get people promoted in a short period of time, and that resonates with employers. So it's, it's, um, it's the reason why, slowly but surely, Thinking is kind of is changing in that regard. I'm, I'm seeing it, and I think my colleagues are seeing it as well. Now, um, again, you still can't sit around and wait for the phone to ring. It's a combination of that phenomenon, in my view, plus incumbent worker training and, and providing a pathway for companies to do that be the answer for them. Uh, you know, when I get a placement call and somebody says, this is XYZ manufacturing from the east side where I know where this conversation is going. We're looking for a, uh, a uh, CNC machinist going to work off shift and he's got to do this, this, that, and the other thing. This poor HR generalist is under the gun, you know, send me some resumes. And, you know, it's just, I need more detail. I need to, I want to try and make a really good fit there not just throw a body at them, okay? Because I, I do a disservice to uh, them and us and my student by doing that. But technology is, is what it's all about with, uh, you know, I'm 66 years old. I mean, I, I don't even wanna go back to high school, but <laughs> those, those, that time frame. But, you know, cell phones used to be the size of bricks. Okay, and look at them now and in all of our respective uh, businesses, trade, all of our respective trades, you can make a similar analogy. Look at the technology that has happened within our our trades. It's nothing like it was 20 and 25 years ago. And that changes the job description of even entry level people. And that is appealing you know, but we have to make the case, and you, you mentioned about go look at these labs, go look at these companies, you can eat off the floor in manufacturing companies, believe it or not, you can, and that has a high degree of appeal, so good news is, to me, it is changing, and uh, it, it's up to us to provide a path, not only for students, but for our employers as well.
3: Yeah, I think, the easiest way I can say is, is I blame Steve Jobs. I mean, my generation born in 75, we had a personal computer when I was like 10. And I mean, that was like the greatest Christmas ever. And I was playing where in the world was Carmen, San Diego. So, you know, I knew about the world. I knew what the uh, um, capital of Iceland was and, and what their trades were. And then the world got bigger you know, for a 10 year old in 1985. And then you accelerate that to the, to the next generation Then we get to Paul's generation. Uh, now the entire planet is in our hands and let's just take it from whenever Facebook started to about five years ago, um, not only simultaneously was every college football game broadcast, no matter if you had the basic cable package or not, um every every experience was visible on TV and and now uh, we could share our perfect lives to the globe on Facebook. And everything was in our hands. The world was our oyster. We were one click away from an experience. And I don't know what percentage, but that percentage there's a there's that contributed to people thinking that, I can do something other than a trade, or I should do something other a trade. Um, that, that contributed at some level, right? Because parents wanted to brag about what Billy was doing. Um, Billy felt like he could live a life without a hammer in his hand or a wrench in his hand or, or, or learning a trade because hell, it's right there. Why can't I? I, I can be a YouTuber. Um, that said, call it five years ago, that could be a good number, or a bad number. Steve Jobs is also going to get us out of this mess, because as it becomes more um, vogue, more economically understandable, well, let's see, I can do what Paul did, and I can go to college for four years, and I can get a 100 grand in debt, and then in four years, I can come out and hope to make 50, so that's a 100, uh, I can do that math, Or I could go to a five-month to an 18-month institution for zero to 20 grand and come out uh, debt-free because I was able to work while I was going. And now if I hustle just a little bit, I'm staring at 60 to 80 grand a year by the time I'm 22. So Dustin, I mean, you bring up a lot of good
1: points. Um, I think the Expectation and relationship with the four-year degree is shifting. Um, I want to get everyone's thoughts on, although it's changed in the last decade, you know, it's it's still it still has its pull. I mean, you know, look, we're in Ohio. Ohio State has pull, man. I mean that you know you want to go to the football games and you want to have the alumni sticker on your car, and it it still has it. Um, I think four-year degrees are in deep, deep, I I shouldn't say degrees, Um, four-year colleges are in deep trouble just because they got greedy. Uh, They started paying people insane salaries. It was an arms race for buildings and amenities to then attract me, right? Um, and, And Ohio University, let me tell you, they put a marketing blitz on the Northeast. I grew up in Connecticut. I had no business going. I, why, why am I in Ohio? Because they spent money to put five recruiters in my high school. So I walked into my guidance counselor's office, Ohio University. What is that? Boom. Got me, right? Like, and then you visit and it's like, oh, this is heaven on earth. This is the greatest, how, yeah, this is the greatest place on earth. So where the, the real question is, 2032, where are four-year colleges? Are they continuing to increase costs? Do they have a a come to Jesus moment and start decreasing costs? Do they start buying community colleges and basically saying, you know, like, should Ohio State buy Columbus State or I should say acquire Columbus State and say, hey, here are two options. If Ohio State's not for you, come to our sister school and go to Columbus State. Like, how, how do they adjust to survive? Because I think we're all on the same page that it's probably not the
2: future of education. Uh, Ned, we'll start with you. Well, I absolutely agree. And I, I can tell you, I think the four-year university needs to, and listen, I went to a Defiance College. I had a great experience there as well. Um, but they need to, to, to kind of learn to play nice with others. And yeah. what i mean by that is, is, is yes, it's, it's, an, it's great to go to these places, but things are done not only the way you do them. Work with us so we can make that transition better right? Or we can give you what you need. And it's just difficult because coming from the career tech and we work with Tri-C a lot simply because um, it's a natural partner to us, a two-year school that has all kinds of different training. And that's what their mission is. So they work, we work well with them because we have that relationship and it's just a natural relationship and we talk and work with them all the time. And we, universities need to do that because they can't keep getting more expensive because nobody can afford it.
0: I couldn't agree more. It's all about partnering and the smart ones do it. And the, um, let me say less than smart ones, uh, don't do it and and put up barriers. We have uh, relationships with uh, many, and we have others who still view our type of training as second-class citizens. And it's very frustrating at times because I think they're doing a great disservice to their student body because there are certain things that we offer that nobody else does. And and I, so I think it comes down to partnership. So I don't think the four-year degree is, is dead by any stretch of the imagination. And gentlemen, I, I think we need to be careful not to sell against it, but sell with it and what I mean by that is do this now get yourself in the door get yourself promoted and if they want to make you a supply chain manager in um or send you to six sigma training or school or something let them do that on their dime okay but right now you need to go to work and you need to go to work in a viable area that pays a decent wage and you can upscale you from there. And um, we don't need to teach you everything right now. So
2: that's, that's a my great model. It. it makes me even think about, I think about our medical professions program. A lot of those students wanna end up um, uh, nurses, doctors, but what they do is they, come to us, they get a certification state-tested nursing assistant with us so they can do some of those basic skills and work in hospitals and nursing homes. They go to Tri-C, get their RN, go to work as an RN, get it Metro, get it, you know, one of any one of the the areas. And then they get their BSN while they're working and being helped to pay for that. That's the the perfect model because they got to get out there and make money. And they're gonna end up with their bachelor's degree because they need that for their profession, but they had to get it, not just right out of high school. Yeah, Tim example. Tim,
1: we'll start with you for this question, but you brought up technology earlier and how much it's changed, right? You know, you know, you had the cell phone example. Mm-hmm. Um, how do training companies and companies that are looking to hire, whether it's automotive or manufacturer, whatever it is, you know, it changed now. Technology changes every three months. It's it's tough to keep up with, but how do you guys keep up with it? Right. So like, you know, the automotive industry needs this skill, this training center needs to train for this skill. Is there communication there? Um, and how do you guys kind of keep up with that? Because I would assume, I do not know, but I would assume every year a new car comes out, there's probably one new feature or one new thing that you need to know how to fix, right? It's, it's crazy. So how, how do you guys keep up with that?
0: Is that to me, Tim? Uh, yeah, we'll start with you,
1: Tim. Yep. Okay.
0: Well, uh, I often tell my students, you know, the guys working at machine these days, uh, depending on what level they're at, they're closer to engineers than they are laborers. You gotta think on your feet. And a lot of that comes down to technology because every bell and whistle that is added requires training. And we're trying to hold, I'm gonna get a little deep in the weeds here, but we're trying to hold tolerances half the width of a human hair, and the machine has the ability to do that. But it doesn't matter if the person at that machine cannot handle that technology, cannot check those parts and make adjustments on the fly, according to training. That's in my field. All of my colleagues have similar examples of that. And you're right, every three to six months, a new bell and whistle comes out, and we have to be prepared to address that in training. The good news is small ships steer faster than aircraft carriers. And and you are talking to the red tape here at my organization, <laughs> I, I am the red tape. <laughs> so within budgetary uh, constraints many times. So. Uh, We can steer the ship, and I'm going to somewhat speak for my colleagues, Um, we can steer the ship a little faster than having to go through layers of board approvals and things like that. So, um, again, partnerships and technology, that's how we have to advance and we have to expose our students to those things because they're going to experience them out in the field. And the last thing an employer wants to hear from a student is, well, they didn't teach us that at school, which they hear anyway, even if they did, <laughs> even if we did teach it. Um, but um, they don't want to hear that. So we have to keep up. We do keep up.
3: And, uh, you know, that, that is a difference maker for us. I think that uh, he makes a great point. I kind of look at uh, four-year institutions as the oil freighter. They're so governed, There's it's such a business model. There's no possible way they can react to all of the industries that they uh, provide um, certifications or degrees for because they're so horizontally focused that it would be impossible to stay up to speed uh, with all of them. I think the opportunity is less about, um, and I agree by the way, I I don't compete with four-year degrees. I don't even compete with two-year degrees. We are a hands-on accelerated work-while-you-train employer-centric operation. And because we also take money from employers to train their people, our model forces us to be relevant because we're training their people on their technology. And then we put the burden on them to provide us with the new technology because writing training and processes against new technology is actually not that difficult because the people that need it done are more than willing to provide it, whether that's an OEM manufacturer or whether that's a particular dealer. So the playbook is there. There are people that are incentivized to provide training institutions the playbook. You don't have to go out and vent how to fix a electric or hybrid car uh, the people that have billions of dollars invested in making those and producing those, they're gonna they're gonna give you the playbook. You just have to convert it to uh, how to monetize that playbook and how to make it uh, of value in in a good old fashioned capitalist kind of way. I like to put the responsibility of how this goes forward on the companies that need to be able to sell, come work for me. This is the career path. This is the interval in which it will be provided to you. This is the technology that will guide you from day one so that you have an interface with your employer and your career on your phone. And this is the content that will lead you to intervals of hands-on training. Tim's right, you can have HBO quality content, infused directly into someone's cerebral cortex, but if they don't learn how to actually do it or why it's being done through some level of repetition, all that noise is just noise. So it's giving companies the ability to use technology to guide the people that work for them and whom they are recruiting through a career path that has checkpoints of execution that remain up to date with what the industry needs so that there continues to be ROI for the employer on spending that money with the training partner. And I think that's the only way that the four-year traditional model of education or, or the free community college education, listen, I'm not knocking Tri I love that model, it's needed for 100 reasons. But the reality is when you do something for free, you're less invested than when you don't. So the education that you're getting for free or that is supplemented, or even if you're paying, better have real teeth into what it is that you're investing that time and or money into doing. And that can't be governed by some broad braced curriculum that's focused first on the United States Department of Education, second on the accrediting bodies that the U.S. Department of Education says, if these people say your program's good, it's good. Third, the people who haven't been in the industry for 20 years who are writing the criteria for those accrediting bodies. And now I've put you to sleep and we wonder why um, the, the college education is, is not current relative to the needs of businesses like, like Tim's or, 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 the, or the manufacturers or the dealer groups that we work with. So we have to be partners with industry and learn how to help industry create their own career path execute against it. And there's a business model. There's a need and the companies will pay for their people to get the further education that they need. Okay. The pe- the, 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 the workforce doesn't have to pay. They don't have to go finance a hundred thousand dollars at a rate. That's not going to get any lower and spread it out over the rest of their life they need to learn a skill that works with some sort of a career path that's tied into education and technology so they have the confidence to just go get a job at that company and as the companies deliver on that promise then we will see people feeling like it's cool to share on Facebook that they just went and got a job that that has an educational component i, I think that's where we can win
1: you're here, here where do you where do you guys see so i'm going to bring it back to real estate so in real estate depending on the state you're in, obviously it's all different, but in Ohio, it's 120 hours. Um, you can get it done. I would say two, the three months would be really good. You know, like you can, three months would be pretty quick. You take your test and you can be a licensed real estate agent, but then every three years you have continuing ed. You have to take in order to keep your license. Now in real estate, it has become a click, 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 click online. $30, I don't care. I'm not paying attention. I need this to keep selling homes. Um, which, depending on the real estate agent you ask, is a great thing or a horrible thing. Um, where do you guys see, and I, I think we're all on the same page that upskilling and reskilling is super important. Um, but is that required in the industry you're in and should it be required in the industry you're in? And then the, the part B to that is, how do we not let it become what it has become in the real estate industry, which is, oh, I need my CE. And they, and it's always like this last minute thing. Oh crap. My three-year CE is due. Let me Google where I can get it for $34 and click through and they're done in an eight hour course. And some people have literally said they've got an eight hour course done shopping for groceries. So it has become, I mean, whatever is lower than a commodity, (laughs) no one cares. Um, And it's not educating anyone. So I guess it's a it's a convoluted question for sure. But first is like, do you think that model makes sense for other industries in terms of just it being a requirement? And then part two is, how do you not let it become what it has become in the real estate industry? Um, right. Ned, Ned, we'll start with you.
2: Well, yeah. I, is it important? It's important if it's meaningful. We just we just heard, you know, in this industry, things are changing or technology changes, right? And so to to make it valuable. It has to be worth your while, right? You know, I, as an educator, I have to relicense every five years and I have to do my, I, I have different ways that I can do that. Um, and as a guidance counselor, I choose certain courses that I want to take because I'm interested in that. That's going to, I feel, help me in my job because I value that. So that's what, I think that's where it has to be. It has to be something of value. I think too many times we just think, okay, yeah, you have to do this. That sounds like a good idea. Let's rubber stamp it. And, and okay, there's a process for that. But are we really putting time into making that meaningful? I'm going to guess, and I'm not in this world, but I'm going to guess an industry where um, the training is crucial because if you can't do it, you're not going to produce what you need. That makes things a little different. I'm sure these guys can speak to that a little more.
3: I I can go. Um, um, It's got to be meaningful. If you're making a decision to go into real estate, um, It's because you're making a decision not to go to college. Whether you're already in college and then you got into real estate, whether you're taking a break from college, so you're going to go sell real estate, or whether you're selling real estate on the side while doing some college. Doesn't matter. The point is, I'm in real estate for one reason. To make money. Not because I love houses. If I just love houses, I'll just watch the HGTV network. So, that's right. It's essential because there has to be some sort of, do you qualify or do you know, do you not? When real estate companies can turn continued ed from being a something that you got to cram for and, and shove a 50 bound steak down your throat and not even taste it because it's required of you into regular drips of information that help you convert and make money then I think we have the opportunity for that to shift. And I think it has to be technologically based because we live in a world where I don't use the restroom without doing three things on my phone and accomplishing something. And anybody who says that they don't is lying. So I'm not sitting here saying that continuing education should happen while you're on the john. I'm sitting here saying that when companies can figure out a way to distribute content that is meaningful to the performance of their employees, there is no reason the governing bodies can't get involved and certify that content if if you must so that we can kill two birds with one stone. And then what will happen is the person that matters most, the person that's choosing to make money selling real estate can feel like that continuing ed helps them sharpen their knife every day instead of just being this burdensome checkpoint that nobody cares about because they're all trying to make money until they lose the ability to be certified or be able to do something because of these meaningless checkpoints along the way. And and I can tell you that I'm very familiar with a company that spent the last two years and it was inspired by real estate, Paul. That's why this is interesting to me. Um, Mobile training that delivers video content in short form to an infinite number of employees where after watching short form videos they can answer a few questions and then the essential part. They have to video role play simply by hitting record because that mobile LMS integrates with the phone's camera. I watched Ned with a three-minute video give me some awesome information. Then I got to ask about answer three questions just to make sure I got the high hard ones that Ned really needed me to get across. But now I can't cheat because now I'm going to hit the role play button And even if I'm practicing poorly, I'm still practicing and I'm still delivering the three points that were the most important part of the three minute video. And where the technology gets very interesting to our industry at Matrix and to the auto industry is that's not where the road ends on technology like this. The person that signs the check for a technology like that doesn't really need to watch a hundred or a thousand learners do role plays. They need to watch one, 10, or 100 managers who are in charge of those people and determine, did the manager actually watch the role play and accept it or reject it? Because when we want to have technology be a regular pulse of good information that helps us do our jobs, in today's society, what we really need is feedback from our manager as to whether or not those role plays are being viewed, are meaningful, and get that feedback that says, I got my like today, I'm good, I better check into this thing tomorrow because my manager's watching but managers get busy. Not all managers are great managers. Tim and Ned know that, you've seen that Paul. So if the executive can simply look and say, are the managers of the people who are getting this learning, just checking in every day to see if they've answered their questions and done the role plays and the ones that haven't checking in with them say, hey, let's keep this up in a proactive way where it takes a few minutes every few days And it's meaningful because you can create content instantly on a phone and keep it updated and shoot it to those people. It allows you to have technology that can be on the go. It allows for the creation of content that is a derivative of today's needs and conversations, but provides companies with the ability to just hold people accountable to checking in. Because if they would just do that, it wouldn't have to be great content, it wouldn't have to be great training, it would just be ongoing. And so I think you're going to see technologies like that emerge to give businesses, real estate company, franchise operations, the ability to give a regular drip of information to their employees in an environment that our employees are used to and already addicted to. So I go back to Steve Jobs caused this mess, but he might just be able to help us fix it if we get smart about how to use it. And that's where Tim's Freightliner versus the Ferrari comes in, because it'll take education 11 years to talk about that and screw it up and develop it. And uh, Ned's laughing casino. was Both my parents were teachers, so I get it. Uh, Tim's right. Business can do that quickly because they'll see dollar signs at the end of the, at the, end of the stretch. And that's what drives it. And that's okay.
0: Smart business will, will do that.
3: You know, <clears throat> I,
0: I think that um, digital versus hands-on comes into play here. Uh, we, uh, w- when COVID got us all, uh, to some degree or another, uh, you know, we got we got caught, you know, I had to send all our students home uh, and uh, suddenly we said, oh, how the, how the hell are we going to deliver content to our students at home now? You can do that to a certain extent. And we did, and we still are. But the fact of the matter is, at least in our field, there's no substitute for getting your hands dirty. None. There's no substitute for understanding what is happening when metal cuts metal and it's vibration and it causes, sometimes I call it violence in the machine, doesn't matter how sophisticated the computer is, stuff happens inside there that you have to be aware of and react to. And you can only do that by being there. So how do we do that on an ongoing basis in the case of ongoing certifications. And and companies that are thinking about that take advantage of things like our programs to to, uh, create a hierarchy of how do I keep my employees engaged? How do I keep them growing? How do I keep them going? And if they're just going to rely on their employees taking an online course for you know 15 or 20 minutes clicking all the right answers and submitting it i don't think that's the answer tim i have i have a yeah if i may it's an easy way for hr directors and managers to skate by and say oh yeah he passed the test well okay but um Uh, Did he he really prove that he can do this and that he can retain it 15 minutes after he passed that test? That's where folks like us come in, quite frankly.
3: I could not agree more, and I don't have the end-all solution for that, but this is right where we end up in automotive, the same thing. How do we know that they can actually do it to the point where we're comfortable letting them do it? And the reason I get excited about the tech that I'm talking about and shoot, Paul, if you ever wanna do a one of these about technology, I'm sure I could get the guy that that uh, uh, is developing that, runs that company to get on, he'd get excited. But where, where I get so excited about what Tim's talking about is if we all agree we're gonna lose 20 pounds and get ripped before summer, it's less important for me to see that Paul has the perfect workout plan or that Ned has the perfect food plan or or that Tim's gonna take a power shake at 6.54 every morning. All I really care about, if I'm gonna bet on one of those three horses is did one of them actually show up to the gym every day? I don't wanna see how many reps he did. I don't wanna know his philosophy on building muscle mass. I just need to prove that he actually showed up and and got out of the locker room and actually got within 15 feet of the treadmill. So when we talk about making employees understand why their job is important, we can do that with technology. When we talk about do they understand the essential um, requirements from safety to process, we can do that via technology. But if we have technology that incorporates those things that can also just hit record, and I can record Billy learning to cut that metal and see did the metal fly across the shop because he had no idea that he had to clamp it down because he couldn't spell by vibrations. I can at least hold somebody accountable to proving that Billy did 10 reps. And by the last rep, his supervisor or mentor or manager had on video him cutting all the way through that steel and it being a clean cut where all the safety uh, requirements were done. So if I can serve him the Y video, a few questions and then hit record and do that with out anything other than a couple guys' cell phones on the job in a convenient way. Now to Tim's point, I can at least prove repetition. I can prove to the benefit of the company and their indemnification. Maybe more importantly, to the benefit of the employee and to the convenience of the supervisor who's asked to get this guy his repetitions and get him trained up. I don't have to have him be a production studio. I just have to have him hit record so he can cover his butt and prove that this person learned it. We're at least getting closer to ways to use convenient technology that are already in our employees' pockets to prove what is the most essential part. Did they hands-on experience it, learn it, and get confident with it? So in my opinion, that's at least closer to where we are today and could at least help bridge that gap between tech and what Tim's talking about. And imagine a world where we could filtrate that kind of technology into NETS programs and companies could see students in high school programs who did perform the reps and who didn't perform the reps. And we could create employer relationships with programs like Matrix or Polaris where the employers had the data of which students actually cared and were performing their reps and which students weren't so we could be more efficient about who we're spending our money to onboard since we're going to have to spend more money training them than we ever have and flip that financial model to everybody's benefit except for maybe the Ohio State University but they're going to be okay with or without us yeah they will um all right let's let's Listen,
1: gentlemen, this was fantastic. Um, We're going to get you out of here on this. Speaking of getting ripped for the summer and diets, uh, (laughs) we're going to end with your favorite Cleveland. It can be all Ohio, but we mostly focus on Cleveland. Your favorite Cleveland restaurant could be breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever you want. Um, Yeah, tough. I know, Ned. Sometimes this is the toughest question of the podcast. Uh, Ned, we'll start with you, uh, your your go-to Cleveland restaurant.
2: Wow. Man. Um, I guess right now I'd have to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna pronounce this thing wrong. It's really fancy, so it's surprised I'd go there. I'm not a fancy guy. <laughs> um, it's on the east side. It's, it's by Case. I call it La Albatross. I think it's pronounced differently than that. Um, but it's great French. It's just like it's this place I go. It's not. It's not cheap, but it's not super expensive, and it's um uh, the service is fantastic. And so it's just some place I really would go and enjoy.
3: All right, nice. Okay, Dustin, what do you got? You know, right now, I, I would have to send everybody I knew to this place on the corner of uh, Chagrin in Richmond. Um, it's called Tres Portillos, and it is a great Mexican restaurant. The staff is phenomenal, and the reason I have to go on this diet is because their food's so so darn good, so uh, that to me right now, that's as good as anything in town. I, I should probably go there less. <laughs> All
1: right. That's a good one. Tim, what do you got?
0: Well, this is an easy one for me. It's the harp. H-A-R-P. Okay. Which uh, I'm seeing some heads bob up and down there in agreement. Um, this is my and my family's uh, go-to place. If you're familiar with it, 41st, I think, in Detroit, Yeah. I think, um, beautiful patio overlooking Cleveland Brown stadium and the downtown area. Irish Motif, I know you're shocked at that, and Menu, but lots of other offerings there, great bands, uh, again, Irish bands, many times, and uh, when I'm entertaining uh, incoming guests, and uh, I I make it a point to take them to the harp.
1: Nice. Okay. I lied. We're going to get you. I assume all three of you are Cleveland Browns fans. Is that a fair assumption? No? going to say, okay. unfortunately okay yeah. so you you listen you have to stay strong to this because we have to get out of here but the, it's a yes or no answer if you're the gm do you pay baker ned
2: oh um right now right
1: now yes or no uh no no okay dustin
3: i don't uh, get this season.
1: what i gotta decide right now right now do you do you extend them brutal it's brutal
2: by the way i like baker but i need the season <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i
0: would probably do it okay you're paying him tim you paying him
2: i'm paying him we're All not right
1: gonna,
0: if you think we're gonna do better out there you're i don't know how you're gonna do better
3: yeah i know it's tough it's tough He was hurt. i'm betting on he was hurt i think he comes back up it's
1: a good bet it's a good bet all right, listen guys, I really do appreciate it. We'll have you on again soon. I think we could talk for another 2 hours, but I know uh, you know we got work to do. So, thank you again for coming on and uh, you know we'll we'll all, uh, touch base again soon. Thank you guys so much.
0: Thank uh, you no you I'm I'm going to the gym. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. All right. See you guys. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.